your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solo. All right, welcome to a Friday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solo. I'm 608-785-7914. That's the number if you want to text me. If you want to call, you got to do so early because in about 10 minutes, I'm going to have Dr. Andrew Jagamon, male health, uh, male clinic health system. Sports science doctor, I think that's where we're going with that. We can ask him in, in specifically, but kind of talk about the the idea of we're reopening the state, right? So what happens next is we got to reopen sports, and we're gonna we're gonna start more more so on a, a broad level how professional sports, which we're all starving for, I'm sure, uh, could get back and then kind of reel that in in the second half of the show on what we do locally. And we'll see what Mayo is doing locally for maybe the schools and, and programs that, that are really probably unknowingly, really don't really know what to do in terms of how to get kids competing again, right? Uh, I know we had President Trump talking about a vaccine, and I think mass testing might even start on some of those vaccines in July. So maybe by fall we actually could start sports again with a vaccine right that's kind of my and we can ask dr jagham too my my theory is that we got to have a vaccine right unless everyone has the has has gotten the virus and we're good to go uh i I don't see how we can play sports and unless we're just going to risk all the you know, not just kids, but just adults and anyone that's competing sports, just like a different animal, right? Like we're up in each other's faces, some sports, not, but like the sports that I want to play are ones where I'm, well, I'm going to be breathing heavy in any sport I do, but, uh, you know, basketball, physical sports, football, people are up in each other's faces, tennis, golf. I don't know why you can't do that already. So 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. I think uh, Eric from Sparta, you're calling in. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I call a number of bars around the city of Sparta today, and every damn one of them has no safety protective gear at all. And um, I'm 69, and I'm worried about this thing. I won't go anywhere without a mask because the airborne disease Everybody's got to breathe, so if I want to breathe, I don't want to breathe somebody else's germs. Yep. All right, Eric. Yeah, uh, we we get it. Uh, yeah, Eric's kind of Eric's really worried about about the virus and about bars opening up. And I think uh, I think the consensus there is if you're worried about it, then don't go to the bar, right? I know I drove by Earl's at about seven thirty last night, and just I can see in there the door was open, and all I saw was backs of people at, sitting at the bar. Uh, you know, elbow to elbow. So uh, I didn't see, I didn't look in any other bars. That one just happened. I just kind of looked over. I was like, oh, there's, you know, at the light there. I'm like, oh, there's a whole bunch of people in there. So kind of interesting. Uh, Cameron Park open. Uh, the, the farmer's market's open today. So if anyone wants to go to the farmer's market, it opened about an hour ago. And they're they're doing some stuff for social distancing. If anyone's down there and wants to shoot me a text and how that looks, uh, feel free, 608-785-7914. Uh, they're going to have people going in one direction, and I, I, I would, and only so many people can go in, in, so to speak, in at a time, or probably get in line, uh, just to keep people just off from each other. But it's it's great, right, to have to have a plan and and to have a way to do this. I mean, instead of everyone going to the big 
big stores to get your groceries, like, right, we should be doing this. We should be figuring out a way to do this safely uh, at farmer's markets and, and the like. So, um, all right, number three is calling. We'll get to number three, and then we'll we'll head to break and, and then bring uh, Dr. Jacob on. Number three, you're on the air. Go ahead. You better take up underwater basket weaving 101. Wear a mask during that. Yeah, no snorkeler. Anyway, here's a good one for you. One of my chicken, old chicken plants out in Cold Springs, Minnesota, mm-hmm. uh, plays about 1,100 people, 194 tested positive this week for the virus. Yeah, it's not good. good. That well, don't sound good, does it? Well, there's, I, I, I guess I didn't know this, but Allen McKee County has a beef plant or a kosher beef yeah. plant. And uh, yeah. I don't think they're releasing how many people have got the virus there, but there are 118 cases in Allen McKee County of the virus. That's the uh, beef plant down in Postville, Iowa. They got a kosher plant down there. Yeah, so we don't know how many people in that plant have the virus. We don't know if they're testing everyone. I'm not sure, but like when there's 118 cases and there's a plant and then the counties around that only have about all less than 30, uh, you know, something's going on. Well, the same same thing here with the Cold Springs plant. They got another further processing plant. A lot of people live at St. Cloud and go over to Cold Springs and work, and now St. Cloud's testing a lot of positive cases in that town. So I, I don't think the worst is over yet myself where people work in uh, close conditions yeah and you, you think about you know i i've never been in a meat processing plant maybe you have people are pretty close right. to each other they're they're probably working pretty hard and breathing hard would you say oh yeah it's hard work it's hard work yeah when you get in a beef plant or a poultry plant it's like opening up a can of sourdines how they're all layered in there yeah that's the way a plant looks they're everybody's shoulder to shoulder okay because i worked in a depends diapers plant but we weren't shoulder to shoulder no not in the diaper plant no, <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Keep your powder dry over the weekend now. All right. Thanks for the call. Number three calling in. Yeah, the, the 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 idea that all these plant workers are, so to speak, going down with the virus, uh, the way they're working. And I, in the, it, I, I don't want to draw too much of a comparison, but when you go into a, what I call hallway bars where it's not, they're not very big and people are shoulder to shoulder and those are the bars that when you're drunk, they're kind of fun because you're just kind of ping, pinballing off everybody and you don't really care. But when you're like the designated driver and you're one, at one of those bars and every drunk person's bumping into you and, you know, right in your face, it's really annoying. But I can't imagine being in a, in a bar like that right now, uh, the way everything's going. But all right. So let's take a break. Let's get Brad from the newsroom on here and then we'll bring Dr. Jagum from Mayo Clinic Health System on to talk a little bit about how we go about handling sports in a pandemic. We'll be back after this. I was up. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. If you want to get in here with Dr. Andrew Jagum from Mayo Clinic Health System, shoot me a text. If you got questions kind of pertaining to sports 608-785 7914. Andrew, before we get started, I just want to say Food Drive Fridays. We usually have Shelly Fortner with the Hunger Task Force on, and she just texts me 8,500 pounds of food and $6,000 raised today. And if I'm doing my math right, we're at uh, 48, uh, 57,000 pounds of food and $125,000 raised so far in, I think this is five weeks. So that's where we're at with Food Drive Fridays. I heard a while out of you, Andrew. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Great to hear. 
Um, all right. So what? Uh, you know, I was kind of talking before you uh, earlier in the show. Uh, he, I think he's a sports science doctor. But do you have like what's your actual title at Mayo? Uh, that's pretty pretty good though. I like that one. My official title is director of sports medicine research, and then I'll usually describe it as kind of a sports scientist or exercise physiologist or kind of the other two. Um, titles or descriptions that I usually go by. So kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades relating to sports science, exercise science, and sport nutrition. Now, with the pandemic, are you a jack-of-all? I've been laid off for the last couple of weeks because well, there's no sports. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've, I've been able to dodge that bullet, but it is hard being a sports medicine department without sports in play, I can tell you that. So all of our you know, research activities have kind of been put on pause for the moment and Certainly not as many athletes coming through our clinic doors as, as we have in the past. So everyone's kind of having to adjust in their own ways during these times. Now, you were at uh, UWL a couple of years ago, and then I feel like you went to St. Louis. And then all of a sudden, uh, I think a couple of years ago, I, I saw we had a story about what you were doing uh, with the soccer teams. And I'm like, hey, that's the guy. So did you leave from UWL, go to St. Louis, and then come back? Yep. Yeah, just couldn't get enough of lacrosse. So I was a faculty member at UWL in their exercise and sports science program for about four years and then took a position at a private school down outside of the St. Louis area um, for about a year and a half. And then this position opened up uh, back here at Mayo Clinic, and it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. So we packed the family back up and drove back up. Lacrosse. No, I'm not doubting that it's too good of an opportunity, but is it like I really would rather live in lacrosse than St. Louis? Is it was there a little bit of that factor or not? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, lacrosse is such a hidden gem in the Midwest here, so it's a beautiful area to live. And St. Louis was kind of fun for a while to check out just some new sites and things to do. But uh, yeah, we're happy to be back up here and kind of join up on all the old friends and stuff that we had thought we were leaving behind. So nice to re- reconvene with them again. Okay, so I, I don't know how you want to approach this, but you, you guys have uh, you, you're kind of looking at some uh, national guidelines when it comes to how we get athletes back into sports. Is that the best way to sum that up? Yeah. So the the National Strength Conditioning Association is one of the more prominent organizations within the U.S. that uh, provides all kinds of educational materials relating to sports science and strength conditioning and how we kind of train athletes in a safe manner and under the current circumstances, they, they thought it was best to address kind of a return to play for athletes who may be doing nothing during this time or certainly with limited resources. So they put together a task force and then put out a position statement uh, about two weeks ago now that kind of covers you know all kinds of different recommendations all the way from how to properly set up your practice schedule and training schedules for athletes so you minimize you know, things like overlap or too many athletes in one place at one time. Uh, they talk a little bit about proper facility cleaning and disinfectant practices, trying not to share equipment or making sure you're cleaning things in between. Uh, and then they really go into a lot of detail on kind of the progression of what the training should look like to, again, get that athlete who might be deconditioned or certainly not training at the regular level. So how do we kind of start training them again, get their back, get them back into their regular routine so that you, A, not only get them ready to compete, but then B, how do we do it safely so that we're not risking any kind of injuries? Because that's always the big risk here when you have athletes that went from regular training, then they stop for, you know, it could have been three to four months here, depending on where they live. 
and then now trying to get back into things. So just making sure that they're trying to put out some of the best recommendations on really how to approach all that as safely as be under the current circumstances. Again, speaking with Dr. Andrew Jagum from uh, Director of Sports uh, Medicine Research, Research at Mayo Clinic Health System in La Crosse here. Um, so you, you sent me a couple of graphics, and these will go up uh, eventually on wisdomnews.com and wktysports.com. Uh, but the, the the one that's interesting is is just kind of looking at the NFL. So the NFL had a lockout uh, back in 2011, and then they started back up again. It seems like, you know, you, you'd think the NFL would have this figured out and be on top of this already, but uh, they, they found, uh, you know, I don't know if they found a lot of other injuries, but the graphic I'm looking at is Achilles injuries. So players were off for, a, 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 I don't know, how many months were they off? Uh, because of the lockout, and then they come back, and Achilles Achilles injuries are way way out of uh, just way way above what they're they, they should be, right? Yeah. So they looked at kind of the the 15 year average during the time preceding that lockout, and they found there was on average about five Achilles tendon ruptures per year, and then during that single kind of year period following the lockout, they had 12 ruptures in the first month alone. So again, a, a really big spike in those Achilles tendon injuries and, and agree, uh, agreed with you. You think they would, you know, get ahead of that problem and see it coming. But the challenge really is replicating that training environment and training intensity that you have when you have the proper facilities, you have the proper strength conditioning coaches kind of hands-on with the athletes and can really train the way that they should. And without those types of resources and environment, Again, it's just really hard to replicate that type of training. So athletes might be doing, you know, going out for jogs or body weight exercises, which it's better than nothing, but it's not doing the right kind of training, you know, the right explosive type movements, uh, starting, stopping, changing directions that really help minimize these types of injuries. So when you're not doing those things, you put your body more at risk when you go from, sedentary type behavior to now you're jumping back into practice or or trying to you know get back into that conditioned state so my guess is they they probably tried but sometimes there's nothing you can do and it's a bit of an uphill battle under those types of circumstances and i would argue that we're probably in even a worse situation now because even during the lockout period like that they weren't able to train uh, in team facilities, but they could still go to the gym down the street or some other type of fitness center to to maybe do something, although not the, the same as what they're used to. But now, in the last three or four months, all of those facilities were closed almost across the whole country. So now we have athletes that really were limited with what kind of ac- equipment they might have access to or what kind of facilities to train in. So I know even just myself, I was scrounging wherever I could for resistance bands and an odd assortment of free weights to to try to get regular workouts in but you know it certainly wasn't the same and i'm far from an athlete these days so uh, it's a, it's going to be a challenge here over the course of the summer as athletes get back into their regular training programs could this be a in the nfl's maybe an outlier here but could this be a pro sport thing too where a lot of you know nba players i hear this all the time because the season's so long and eh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna get work my way back into shape during the regular season, 
And NFL, that doesn't really make sense because it's a 16-game season. So I don't know. Do you do you see a big difference with pro athletes versus college athletes? And and I, I think pro athletes would have, you know, at least they have money to buy some weight room sets and stuff like that. College athletes probably don't have any money to do stuff like that. They're they're doing uh, lunges and and body squats all the time. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. We got a survey right now that we're about ready to send out asking that exact question of what kind of equipment do you even have available to you? You know, what kind of guidance have you been getting from a coach or a strength coach to try to get some type of workouts in? Were you doing Zoom, when you know, workouts uh, to try to get some type of training setting in? So we'll hopefully have some more of that information soon. But we're assuming that, yeah, it was probably pretty limited options that people could use and and, you know, I, I think it is a little bit of a different animal when you're talking about high school, middle school kids. They're, they're not competing at the same level with the same amount of force uh, and strength that they are at the professional level. So there is probably a little bit less of a risk in some of these particular types of injuries like an Achilles tear. Um, but you still have other types of, of risks that they may encounter. I think the biggest one at the younger level will be more of overuse type injuries where you again go from kind of sedentary to trying to run you know five miles a day or whatever your your kind of regular running volume was you you're a little bit higher risk for things like shin splints or stress fractures and things like that depending on what your activity has looked like over the last couple months um yeah and when we come back from from the news uh we can kind of get into uh the youth sports aspect of this and what parents maybe, do you have any idea of what parents can expect? And when it comes to, Hey, when, when, and how would we open up, uh, you know, some, I, I call it competitive youth sports, but like, that's what they, they're competing. They're in each other's faces. They're, they're kind of going at each other. Um, will you have any idea of, of that in that regard? We've been in communication a little bit with some local youth organizations, Parks and Rec and like the Boys and Girls Club, and they're having those conversations right now. So they're consulting with some of the health systems like ourselves, reaching out to the county health department to try to figure out, you know, when and how should this return to sport look. Um, In terms of actual competitions, I think it's still going to be easily a month or two out, but I think they will start, you know, opening up some training facilities. I know, you know, organizations like the YMCA are gearing up to open up, I think, next week even. So athletes will will probably be able to access some of these facilities, that are at least around the community, and, again, can start training in some type of capacity. It might not be the same with the rest of their teammates, uh, but it, it's something that could be better than nothing. So then the challenge becomes how can they you know, do things safely if they're out on their own, uh, making sure they're getting some kind of re- advice or programming recommendations from you know, certified professional, hopefully. All right. That's what we'll do. We're going to go, we're going to break from news. Uh, we're going to get Scott's comment, the news, and we're going to come back and, and keep this conversation going with Dr. Andrew Jagum, uh, director of sports medicine research at Mayo Clinic Health System. We'll be back after this. I'm with him. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. If you got a question for Dr. Andrew Jagum, director of sports medicine research at Mayo Clinic Health System, text me 608 785 Seven nine one four. We're kind of talking about how to get back into sports, not so much how to fight a pandemic when it comes to sports, but how do uh, a bunch of lazy people have been laying around for two, three months uh, get back into it. Andrew, so I got two texts. I'm going to read this one is from Bob. Uh, he asks, when are you going to when is Mayo going to start doing elective surgeries again that people really need? 
So as of May 1st, they started doing elective procedures again and all outpatient visits. So essentially any procedure or visit type that you're looking for, you should be able to get in for whatever that appointment is. So as of May 1st, we've been starting to ramp that back up. Is that something that you guys are involved in, being sports sports medicine research? I don't know, but like obviously you must have some athletes come in there with, with different injuries that you want to kind of figure out, right? Correct, yep. So we have several sports med physicians that handle more of the clinical cases such as that. So they've been uh, back for the last three weeks now doing any kind of injury assessment or minimal procedures that can be done kind of within our department. And then we work closely with orthopedics department, just one hallway over. So if it does end up being a surgical case, it's just kind of a soft handoff next door. We let the surgeons consult with the, the patient. So we've been doing a lot of, you know, people that have been putting off maybe joint injections or things that have been bugging them for the last couple months, you know, that they weren't able to get addressed. And now, um, thankfully, our doors are open. So we've been able to get those patients in, get them the care they need. Yeah, motivation, that's my biggest issue, uh, getting off the couch. I, I need, I need like, nine other guys to play basketball against or uh, volleyball, a bunch of people to play. I need other people to play sports. Otherwise, I'm just a lazy bum. Yep. Yeah, and I think a lot of the athletes are probably in that same boat. You know, there's just, it's hard to replicate that environment where you have friends and teammates kind of encouraging you and providing motivation. So I, I think a lot of people are probably in that same boat. Now, you and, and Dr. Jake Erickson at Mayo are, are kind of the, the sports medicine research guys, right? Is that, is that right? You got, there's two of you? Yeah, so he, he is a, a DO, so he's a, a physician within our sports med department. He'll do a lot more of the, obviously, injury assessment procedurals, but he's also very involved with a lot of our research activities, too. So he and I got to start working together when I was a faculty over at UWL and quickly realized we had a, a lot of overlapping interests. So we started collaborating together and really haven't stopped since. What's what's maybe the coolest project that you guys are working on? And I know you're doing stuff, like you said, with UWL and you're, you're, you're experimenting, so to speak, on athletes, right? Is, is there just like one real interesting project you guys are working on or, or were working on when there was a, a, athletes? Yeah, that's the key part of that phrase. So we, we were doing a lot of uh, what we call kind of monitoring projects. So we have uh, some pretty advanced software and equipment that we can equip athletes with. So it's kind of like a, a super Fitbit type of device where it can not only measure activity, but it also provides a lot more detailed information about speed, number of sprints, uh, what kind of distance they covered throughout a practice, and then it also can do heart rate and calorie expenditure. So we were kind of looking at providing you know, breakdowns of different sports and what the demands of that sport looked like, whether it was collegiate soccer or we did some stuff at West Salem with youth hockey players. Uh, so we were really kind of looking to rotate different teams throughout this little monitoring uh, research model that we had developed, and then that kind of came crashing to a halt. So we're hoping to pick that up in some capacity, uh, hopefully in the fall when, when sports do get back in action, but we'll obviously have to modify a lot of what we were doing, too, to make sure we're abiding by kind of best practices and making sure we're not putting any athletes at any more risk that need be uh, under these times. It sounds like you just had the, your uh, coaches for these teams just had you uh, hook up all kinds of devices to their athletes. So we knew which ones were being lazy in practice. 
Yeah, it was funny. The the hockey coach actually wanted, so it, it, it transmits data live to an iPad. So he's like, get over here with that iPad. I want to see these heart rates. And, and he was even doing shift rotations uh, with the hockey team kind of based on what their heart rates were at. So it'll fly, flag them as kind of red on the software if they're near their max heart rate. And so he was kind of peeking at that to see, you know, who likely needs to be pulled for, you know, get the next shift on it and, and give those guys a break when they needed to. So it was kind of cool to see that making an immediate impact uh, with how a coach was even making decisions during the game. Now, I talked with the lacrosse area YMCA CEO, Bill Soper, yesterday, and he, aside from they're going to kind of soft reopen beginning June 1st and just kind of get people in the building, but he talked, come come July, August, they're going to start ramping up youth sports, hopefully, as long as that goes. Is there, is there, do you have any advice for, for parents, you know, as they, you know, not even just at the youth level, but even people like me, like 40-year-old, like, hey, if they open up new basketball, I want to get going there. But I probably could probably do some stuff in the next month or so to ease into that, right? Yeah, I think, uh, again, ease into it is going to be a, a key part of that. So making sure that you're not going from zero to 100 right out of the gate. So maybe starting now, you know, doing a couple of workouts or, or sessions throughout the week, and then just slowly ramping it up so that, you know, by June, July time, you are ready to kind of get back into pick up basketball or whatever the sport of your choosing happens to be. Are kids invincible and they don't need to worry about that? Or, or do we need to do stuff with kids too? No, kids should be included in that as well. They're, they're a little more resilient than we are, um, but, but still, you know, they need to make sure they're getting regular activity in and doing, you know, different types of, exercises or training activities that closely mimic the demands of their sport. Um, so that, again, so that you're not just going from zero to a hundred, because that's when they're just at higher risk of those types of injuries. Um, as a, as a facility, the Mayo Clinic, you know, an entity, whatever you want to call it. Um, are you guys sharing information with, you know, maybe the Y or some clubs or sports camps or, uh, other organizations that are that are going to try to start thinking about like opening up and and having you know camps and whatnot to to get athletes in and working out again. Are you, what are you guys doing there? Yeah, we have been. Uh, mostly, it's them kind of reaching out to us. Uh, it hasn't. We haven't kind of made it a, a point to call every organization or, or facility and kind of give our opinion on the matter. It's more so being kind of a voice of guidance if need be and they're kind of asking us what what we're doing or what are we hearing out of rochester what what do some of the prediction models look like or or what can we kind of expect maybe coming down the pipeline so a lot of uh, different organizations and clubs again have kind of made some of those phone calls to us to to just get our opinion on it and then they kind of consult back to their their board or some of their parent programs that help with the organization and I, I know they're in communication with the county health department as well. So they're kind of just absorbing as much information as they can. And then I think looking at their own resources and, and staffing and saying, okay, can we meet these expectations for a safe return to play? Do we have enough equipment or do we have enough facility space or staff to help maybe screen athletes or do extra cleaning or whatever it needs to look like? So I, I think just making those decisions now so that they don't get caught you know too far down the road and they're having to bail out and kind of learn the hard way that what they were hoping isn't going to be successful so i think a lot of planning on the front needs to happen as much as possible so that they can make that decision now 
um, instead of the middle of the season. I think you're seeing it at the, at the pro level too. You know, a lot of people may have thought NBA might have figured out a way to get back by now, but they're clearly taking their time and, and doing their due diligence to make sure they have all these different procedures and stuff, you know, set up ahead of time so that they're not scrambling and reacting to whatever might happen. We're talking with Dr. Andrew Jagum, Director of Sports Medicine Research at Mayo Clinic Health System. Uh, speaking of the NBA, the, the story I read is like the players are like, hey, we're going to need a month to get going again. Is a month long enough for, for NBA players to get back into game shape? I, I would like to see a little bit more than that, at least six weeks, I would think, before you're ready to be in game condition. Um, so I, I'm hoping that's the case. If, if we were to start with six weeks, that's already putting at the beginning of July. So... You know, now is the time where ideally they would be getting into their facilities. I think most have, or at least half, have, have opened up their team facilities, and I know they have very strict guidelines of a certain amount of players in it to work out at the time. They're staggering workout times, uh, making sure everything's thoroughly clean in between, not changing water bottles. And so they're they're doing a lot of those precautionary measures so that they can minimize the risk, knowing that. There's always going to be a risk there, but what can we do to, to minimize those as much as possible? And I think that lesson can be just transpired all the way down even to the youth level. of We know there's always going to be some level of risk, but how do we lessen that? What level of risk are, are people comfortable with before moving forward with sport? Now, I think the overall consensus for people that are really into sports and even playing or watching is they want to know when – to get back like when will it be safe and how does that happen and what's the timeline and as a as a as someone who's researching this stuff and you need the athletes to do your work so you're probably doing this as well but you have uh the ability to go talk to some what epidemiologists and you can kind of maybe go down the hall and be like hey what's the deal how long we got have you have you been doing that do you get any like timeline like hey come fall come september october we are going to see maybe high school sports start getting back into action or or do you leave those guys alone because they're sick of hearing that question no we, we certainly consult with them as well and they have a lot of their um prediction models that they use to make some of those decisions and recommendations. But the problem is they'll even tell you this, that those are only so accurate as you get further out in time. So they'll say they're really only able to predict kind of the next two to three weeks with any degree of accuracy. And then beyond that, you just don't know until you kind of collect and constantly analyze new data as it comes out. So, you know, they have their, their kind of hunches and opinions, I think, on what their prediction models show, but that's the problem with this is it's a very fluid situation. As I think everyone's learning that a lot of this stuff can change at any time. So if we even go locally here to La Crosse or in Wisconsin, we know the, the at the state level things have changed very quickly in the last 48 hours. So it'll be interesting to see if, if we do see a spike in cases in the next two to three weeks or if they just kind of continue at the rate they have been and that might, you know, force any decisions about summer sports or, or fall sports. And, and the other problem is you, you have to make decisions well in advance without having accurate predictive models. Um, and so it just puts schools and organizations in a tough spot because you kind of have to go off a leap of faith, hoping that things stay the course, and then you make your decision off that, knowing that that might not be the case in, in three months or however long you know, happens to be, I look at the college level, we work a lot with EWL and, you know, they have to make their decision in somewhat the near future about whether or not even classes are going to be in person in the fall, let alone sports. Um, and so that 
they have to make the best guess they can and just kind of see how the cards fall after that. Yeah, it seems like we're a little bit of an impatient society. I understand there's a there's an economic impact to this, uh, but now we're we're kind of the grand experiment here, and other states are as well. With uh, I mentioned earlier in the show yesterday, I was driving home. I, I passed a bar. I kind of looked in the door that was open, and people are sitting in there shoulder to shoulder. And I'm like, okay, well, that's probably not going to be great in a couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, when you talk about those models, they're two to three three weeks out. Well, now we, we you almost can throw everything out the window that you you thought was going to happen in the next couple of weeks, and and now wait maybe uh, another couple of weeks before we st- even start to think about how this is going to work out, huh? Yep, absolutely. And then again, that just puts organizations in a tough spot because you kind of have to make the call about whether you're going to have a summer league now before summer starts. So, um, you know, the, everyone, and we, we definitely feel for them. We told a lot of them that we, you know, are here if they need more opinions and, and suggestions because, like you said earlier, they don't have access to an epidemiologist right down the hall and, and they don't necessarily have as much information as we do at our fingertips so they're having to make hard decisions without necessarily the best information on how to guide those decisions so thankfully they're they're consulting you know us and other health experts in the local area on what they think is best and again how, how do they meet those expectations and what resources are available for them I guess the good thing that would come out of the uncertainty and we don't know at what point we will be able to open up sports, so to speak, you know, down the road. But while we're waiting, you need to get your butt into shape and uh, it'll just prolong the it, it, like it will likely prolong the time that we have to uh, to get everybody back into shape. Right. Like if we started now uh, hoping in, in a month that like I'll be able to do some competitive you know, sports. And then in a month comes, it'll be like, ah, it's going to be another month. But they're like, oh, well, at least I'm in a little bit of shape now, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of why we want to get this message out now once these consensus statements came out of, of getting that information out so people can kind of see it and then apply it in their own training program or activity levels. So just like you said, when the time does come, come when we get the green light to return that those athletes are back and you're not having to start from zero uh, when you could have been you know, further along in your competition mode. All right. And, and is, is there a way to, to get at some of this information or am I going to have to get it from you and then uh, throw it on our website? Yeah, I can, I can send that along. They do have, I think on the infographics, there's information on websites of where the stuff is posted at, but I'm happy to send that along too of um, the best way to get that. But the NFCA has posted on all their social media sites and, and websites so they have not only the, the narrative of the position stamp but then also the infographics that just kind of visually let you sift through the information and as as parents and, and adults you know start to think about like getting off the couch again your best piece of advice would be what just that at least do something get off the couch get some kind of regular physical activity at a minimum so walking hiking biking just free playing is kind of the, the first place to start. And then if you do have some strength type, strength training equipment, you know, kind of adding that into the mix as well, whether it's resistance bands or kettlebells, or medicine balls, whatever you can do to add some type of weight or resistance to a lot of body weight exercises, so that's going to be kind of key so that you do maintain or start to regain the strength or, or power that might've been lost because those are going to be important factors in, in minimizing any kind of risk of injury. It's the strength, the power, the explosive type movements that are the first to go 
when you do stop training, but thankfully you can get them back within a few weeks once you start redoing those activities again. And if you take it too hard, at least you guys are doing elective surgeries again, right? <laughs> well, there you go. Yep. <laughs> All right. Pick you up if you break. So, and even on the front end, you know, we can help with programming recommendations. We have kind of those consulting services available. People want to call or, or come in to get, hey, what should my strength conditioning program look like or how much should I be doing right now? You know, we have ways to get that information in people's hands too. All right. Dr. Andrew Jagum, thanks a lot for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. See you later. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. That was, again, Dr. Andrew Jagum, Director of Sports Medicine Research at Mayo Clinic Health System. I guess the best piece of advice is to ease back into it before uh, going all out. All right, we're going to take another quick break. We'll be back after this on Wisdom. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm just going to wrap up here for a couple minutes. I did get a text, 608-785-7914, if you want to text in. Joe says, uh, just more people testing positive for the yearly flu. We may think we have more than more cases in two weeks, but that's only because more tests will be given. There will be no spikes in hospital admissions or deaths. Uh, Yearly flu has taken 88,400 lives as of yesterday in the United States. So that's what I'll have to say to you, Joe. Uh, And uh, just a couple of things. Again, I didn't get to talk to Shelly Fortner, the Hunger Task Force of Lacrosse Executive Director, but she did text me. She is, what did she say? She's she's out somewhere. I want to see where she's out at. and I don't know. I should have. I should have checked. If I'm sure it's a. It's what six o'clock. So you should probably still get out there. She she says I will be at River State's truck and trailer chicken queue. Donations there are going to be matched by Firefighters Credit Union. Um, again, she she texted me earlier before the show that they raised eighty five hundred pounds of food and six thousand dollars today, and another successful food drive Fridays at those three locations throughout the Cooley region, and it goes eleven to one on Friday. So. If, I, I I forgot to mention that yesterday, and I was mad at myself when I got up today, and I went, dang it, I I wanted to talk about Food Drive Fridays. I almost forgot. I'm going to put a reminder because there's two more, two Fridays remaining here as we close out June with Food Drive Fridays. Uh, 57,000 pounds of food they've raised so far, $125,300. That's kind of my calculation. I keep adding to the uh, weekly totals. So um, my calculations are 57000 thousand pounds of food and one hundred twenty five thousand three hundred dollars donated so far and the and that calculation doesn't actually double what firefighters credit union so actually if it was six thousand dollars today i gotta add six more thousand because firefighters is matching up to fifty thousand so it's gonna be i think we're at one hundred thirty one thousand dollars uh so far in the first five weeks of food drive fridays this is pretty incredible i I see other food drives and other kind of fundraisers going on, and it's always an it's always a couple thousand, five thousand is always a big number. This thing has raised one hundred thirty one thousand dollars. That's that's amazing, and all the credit to uh, people in the Cooley region driving out, dropping off some food items or or dropping off some cash. I only went the one week, but I took I took like a hundred dollars cash. I didn't literally take it. I I gave it to. Pat Stevens, who put it in his pocket, and I'm sure he donated. Um, all right, that's going to do it for the show this week. Uh, it was pretty pretty exciting uh, talking with Bill Soper and then Andrew Jagum. That stuff's right up my alley. Just kind of uh, 
the whole idea of getting back into sports, I, th- I think a, lo- a lot of people are kind of itching to itching to get back and or at least at least get their kids out of the house and, and back into some competitive spirit of things where, where they're not going brother versus sister all the time. Maybe it's, you know, friends versus friends. Um, so no timeline on that, though. The, Bill Soper yesterday with the Y said July, August, they're, they're going to start talking about having programs uh, from from like swimming lessons to um, maybe some camps, maybe some sports, but like Jacob, Andrew, Doctor Andrew Jacob with Mayo said today, uh, now that we've flipped the state to wide open, we'll see what happens in two weeks. All right, guys, that's going to do it. We'll see you. Have a good weekend.